Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours with Mike Diamond and Dave Meltzer. It's a dose of Diamond and Meltzer here with Diamond Life Fuel. We're fired up. I'm here at SoFi, and they're fired up behind me on the screen as well. I'm so excited to have Elizabeth Hamilton Garino in the house, the Chief Executive Officer for Compliance for and the founder of the Best Ever You Network. And I'm, like I said, a best ever me is what I'm looking for in a consistent, persistent pursuit. Welcome to Office Hours, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. How much fun is this? Let's go. It's going to be a lot of fun, I promise. It, it, that we guarantee, right, Mike? Yeah, that is true. It's Wacky Wednesdays always with us too. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. good. Let's get to it. Um, you know, one of the things that I think so interesting about the pandemic and post VR, whatever you want to call it, pandemic, is people's perception of change. And, you know, I'm always totally surprised by people's perception of change that somehow they're surprised that things change. And I always <laughs> say the only certainty I know is change, change. Uh, or uncertainty. And the interesting thing about change is the only one I know who likes change is usually a wet baby. Um, and yet you've given us just a gift to society, your new book, The Change Guidebook, how to align your heart, your truths, and your energy to find this ease, the success in all the areas of our lives. Um, and the book came out in April. I read every single book I can that has to do with adaptable intelligence and change. And this book is phenomenal uh, to understand the uncertainties that exist in the universe and how we can align ourselves, as you say, with those uncertainties. Elizabeth, where did you come upon the idea to write the book and to create actually a guidebook for people with change? Exactly in that moment. I, I, I intended this book to meet us in that moment and help change that the top, you know, the topic, the conversation, because people do live in fear and uncertainty and so forth with change. Uh, but really, if you back back this up, I've been sort of a student of change all the way back to 2004 when my father had a stroke. And I'm in the middle of 11 kids. My father had a stroke in the middle of our living room. And we are all like, what just happened? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah, really. And and um, thank, he survived for a very long time, all the way to 2018, October of 2018. And um, I didn't know really what I was going to do uh, when he passed away. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what do I do? And he told me, keep going, put those paws in front of the other one and keep going. And here we are changing even more. That is awesome. Yeah. Sorry for your lot. Yeah. Thank you. He's here though. You can you can tell. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You, you said in, in the title, which is what I love and I want to talk about, you say this beautiful thing, which a lot of people uh disregard, and you talk about heart and truth. And I think those two things are so incredible when you can align your heart with your truth. Can you go into that? And because a lot of people miss that. They just think me, 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 me. And, they, and they're not connected to their truth in their heart. Yeah, I, I love it when people go from here to here. I'm here to here all day long. Come on, come on right here. We, we spend, I love to think, I love math. I love, you know, I love, I love thinking about things. But, you know, sometimes you got to come from right here and think from right here. What are you truly passionate about? What do you love to do? 
And are you showing up that way? Are you showing up authentically you or like how somebody wanted you to be or wants you to be or how you think other people want you to be and behave and all these things? It's tricky because it requires a lot of self-confidence sometimes to show up authentically us. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to take the makeup off and everything and show up on Instagram authentic. Think about all the things that we go through um, that require us to be authentically us. Um, it's, it's a lot. And, and in that authenticity lies not only a mindset uh, to be true to our own selves, to pursue our own potential, to not focus in on what other people want for us, what's missing, what we don't have. As Mike mentioned, our, also our heart set of how are we supposed to feel about this when my dad drops, you know, of a stroke in front of me, you know, and then passes away years and years later, how am I supposed to feel? But more importantly too, than to reconcile that into our daily actions of activity, actions of accessibility, actions of gratitude that are in a trajectory of a better self, uh, a best ever you, as you would put it. Um, how do we know strategically how to align our actions with our mindset and our heart set? Yeah, that's that's the big thing. I'm I'm really big into taking the action, and sometimes um, you you know it right here. You know what action to take. It's a question of are you actually listening to your heart and listening to your authentic you, and taking those actions to move you forward. Uh, it's it's. It's very, I love to help people set goals. I love to help people take those steps. But what I really love to do is help people just make one little pivot or one little shift or one little change in, in the form of an action to get you going. Um, so if somebody says, yeah, I need to lose 100 pounds, I'm like, all right, I need to lose it tomorrow. No, <laughs> you know, we're going to do something called change something. And we're going to, instead of taking away something, I'm going to add something. I'm going to add a lot of water, or I'm going to add a lot of vegetables, or I'm going to add a 20-minute walk or something so that I'm not the one taking away the pizza or making such a dramatic change or a pivot that you're, you know, you're not happy with me. <laughs> but uh, that's no fun. But, you know, that the actions, you, you have to really stop and pause and think about what actions you're taking to line up with your heart and your truth so that your heart, truths, and energy all match up. Because when those things align, I swear you're capable of anything anything is possible. I really do truly believe that. And sometimes a good set of earplugs work too, because there's naysayers everywhere. You know, sometimes you really have to ignore people. Yeah, For sure. that's true. Go, going back to your, your dad having the stroke, that's a very traumatic event. Oh, yeah. A lot of people can't change because of trauma. When right. you're working with people that are stuck in trauma, and how do, how do you help them take those micro steps to, to make better choices? So no matter what, and this is, this is tricky because, you know, I've been there. I've been in that moment of just terrible grief, pain, my dad, my mom, my family, everybody. And it's like hard to really say, hey, everybody, let's root in gratitude. And yet, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's really hard when there's something negative going on like that or traumatic or anything to say, hey, you know, let's find some glimmer of hope some glimmer of faith, some glimmer of gratitude, and hang on to that. And that's really where I go with it. When there's something very traumatic, there's always somewhere, somehow, something that's a, a blessing of some kind. There's somewhere to go. It's very tricky, though. I can remember 
my dad was having a terrible day on a ventilator to we we're trying to get him off the ventilator one day. And I said to my mom, we've got to get out of here. You know, he's not going to come off the ventilator today. We've got to just change. We've got to do something else right now. Um, he's in good hands. I'm going to take care of you. We went, did the silliest thing just to kind of change up the whole mood. I took her across the street to a department store. We brought, bought sweaters, which she didn't want to do, but we did anyway. We wrapped them around our necks as superhero capes. So when we got back to the parking lot of the hospital and went back in. You know, you know, one of the things it's so smart, though, you know, understanding energetically uh, whether you're coaching or as an advisor for personal or corporate uh, functionality, you really are showing a distinction between a zero sum philosophy that so many companies and personalities take comparatively to this value add and applying a value add energy or perception to change it's okay we want something different so let's add more value to the situation not trade negotiate or take away and i think it's brilliant in the book how you show how the heart the truth and that energy shift from abundance you know and not in this scarce mode which then creates more void shortages and obstacles how do we get people to understand, even in the hardest situations, the most challenging times, that we it's better for us to go across the street and buy a sweater to add value or appreciate where we're at instead of deter, depreciate, dissolve, and disappear the positive energy that's necessary for the healing? Sometimes it takes all the energy you can muster up to overcome. And I'll always say that it takes everything you got sometimes to overcome. I've been in these situations. I've had bankrupt parents. I've, I've had so many things happen to me in my life and it takes the, all the energy you can muster up to overcome and add, because if you, if you sit in the woe is me mode and the victim mode, guess what? You're going to get it. You're going to get more of it and stuff. But if you sit in, okay, yeah, there's what was me going on right now, but I'm going to kind of ignore it in a way. I'm going to address it and uh, allow it and accept it, but I'm going to kind of ignore it and go here. Guess what? You're going to go there instead of here. And so it's just in how you step on the gas pedal and amplify things. It really is. What is it that you're going to amplify more of this or more of this? And I'm going to go over here with way more of this. And I love the way you put that. Yeah, I'm going to add value instead of go. Even if there's something going on, I'm going to go here. If I, you know, like, if I can. I want to talk about two things. Uh, your podcast, The Best Ever You, and a new magazine you have, correct? Is it already up and running or are you just launching it? I have a magazine that I had and it's back. <laughs> so I, ha I had it and I and it was not costing so much to print and the technology wasn't there. And now it is. You can have that magazine online and print on demand and do all these cool things. So it's back and it's back full steam. And I'm, I'm loving it. I'm, Ed Begley Jr. was the cover of the first one. How cool is that? And then uh, I have a podcast. I think I was podcasting um, to no one <laughs> when I very first started and I was good with that all the way back in like 2010. Like I have no idea who I was talking to. But I was and I'm like, help, help, help. I need some help here. I need some good guests. And Forbes Riley came on with me to talk to no one too. And there we were. And it caught on from there. And we've got like 4 million downloads now. I mean, it's, it's you know, and those are authentic too. Uh, that's the one thing about me. You know, I'm not pointing graphic. It's, you know, it's, it's all real stuff. It's word of mouth. Very, I called myself for the longest time. I've been funded. 
So That's sorry. so good. Husband funded and mother approved. I don't know. <laughs> no, and building that community, you know, over time and your truth. It's not easy to pursue. Yeah, to pursue. And I know my fifth anniversary of my podcast is coming up on the 12th in two days. And I always remember the very first conversation five Super Bowls ago when Gary Vaynerchuk told me, dude, you use your own brand. And I'm like, I'm only 50 years old. Nobody wants to see me on Instagram. He's like, yeah, they do. You could also, you know, do a podcast. And I literally looked him in the eye. I'm like, podcast? Dude, there's like 200,000 podcasts. Why would I want to do? I got a syndicated radio show all around the country. Why would I want to do? And he convinced me to do a podcast. And, uh, you know, I'm blessed to have these extraordinary guests right off the bat. Now I'm on the opposite side. I'm like, I wish I didn't have those guests when nobody was listening it sure would be nice to have them now that we have millions of people like you. So uh, I, I know how that goes. And you do a tremendous job with that community. Thank you. And and how blessed am I to to be here with you guys? I'm glad you started your podcast or this moment wouldn't be possible. So I'm loving That's this. For I, sure. I'm so nervous before this. So my, I have four boys and they're all in the other room being quiet. The puppies and my husband. <laughs> There's a whole family going, yay, mom! In the back, I got a celebrate. I got a celebration Aww. behind me going on. So uh, they at SoFi got all this stuff. I'm surprised I can't even pay attention. But Elizabeth Hamilton, we look forward to being on your podcast as well. Thank you so much. It's Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. She is the CEO of Compliance Four and founder of the Best Ever You Network, and she is helping changing lives with her book, The Change Guidebook. We will do much, much more with you. Thank you so much for helping people with their mindset, their heart set, and their handset. Thank you to both of you. Great. Fun. You're awesome. Great Bye. interview. Thank you. Bye. Awesome. I love that. 2010, that's when Joe Rogan started and everyone laughed at him. Yeah, you know dude. what I mean? It's it like, what are you doing <laughs> a podcast for? He's like, I don't know. I just do something. Seems like a good idea. $100 million later, seems like a great idea. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> all right let's bring our next guest on soon you is the international speaker something that you know about award-winning author something that you know about expert on innovation maybe branding design and of course entrepreneurship uh he also has an incredible book that is aligned with what's needed today uh called friction and i try to soon you welcome to office hours but i'm trying to teach people about ease and you know i think people don't understand dis-ease uh in the physical realm what creates dis-ease with cortisol in a mental realm what creates dis-ease with the interference of the ego in the soul uh as i study with Sadhguru and deepak chopra and uh you know master shah a dis-ease even of the soul it seems like your book uh really looks at this idea of how we can live our lives at ease with customers, employees, all the different things that are involved. How do you explain the difference today with dis-ease and ease, and how is it applicable to your book, Friction? Well, th thanks for having me on. So excited to be with both of you guys. And, uh, you know, I was just listening to what how you guys just ended the last conversation with Elizabeth and how she was talking about doing a podcast with no listeners, right? And um, even restarting her magazine and that whole journey took a lot of friction. And I think when we look back at our lives and we think about the things that are the most meaningful to us, uh, things that we relish, things that we have um, 
milestones and moments attached to it, they oftentimes come with a certain degree of struggle. And so um, this idea, I love, I love how you, you frame it, David, it's idea of dis-ease, right? I love that. That is even, that's, uh, in some ways, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> but it's, it's all yours. I stole it from someone else. So now right, we're even. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it's this idea that dis-ease is oftentimes the source of great meaning. Um, because if everything was too easy, we might actually end up being, it might actually end up being forgettable. And that's actually how I came to develop this idea of friction is that when I started to work with great brands that were building, um, I think, what, what did Elizabeth just say? Authentic. And e each of her listeners was earned, right? It wasn't like they, they actually opt in and they chose to be part of the, the audience. Um, the, the idea of actually earning it, that is about great friction. And, and what, I, what I was trying to understand is how great brands built strong relationships with customers. And the real great brands actually not only worked their butts off to, to make their customers happy, but they demanded a lot of their customers. They demanded attention. They demanded intentionality. They demanded them to make a choice of us versus them. Um, they demanded engagement. Um, and so it was this idea that great brands are actually built on adding good friction to their customers' experience and to their relationships um, with them uh, versus just taking away all the friction. And then I started saying, but that doesn't make sense. Everybody's going frictionless. Everyone's going, you know, seamless. Uh, how does that, you know, align or, or add up? Because on one end, I'm learning that, you know, you need friction to create a good, great brands, but at the same time, you need to become frictionless to, to really win in the marketplace. And then it just dawned on me. Not all friction's the same. There's bad friction, which you got to get rid of. Stuff that creates annoyance, frustration, uncertainty, risk. And then there's also a lot of good friction that actually makes our body um, sort of fire up chemicals like dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, and even adrenaline. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I don't like being too comfortable. But then you just nailed on something really well. It's like you can't overwork and you can't be pushed in the wrong direction as well. So going off that, was that because, you know, if you, if you don't have friction, you can't be resilient. You can't have grit. You can't. You just it doesn't exist. Otherwise, you just get lazy and content. And that's what a lot of people are this day and age. Did you grow up with that environment? Was a friction or frictionless environment? What triggered you to to really push yourself because it's, it's a, a lot of people don't want to go into that position and raise their standard because it makes everyone either raise a standard or you lose people around you. Yeah. I think, you know, that, that is such a great question. You know, um, Mike, when I think about this idea of how I grew up, it was with a lot of friction. I grew up with demanding parents, right? Um, my, my, my father, especially, you know, he believed in the idea of hard work and he never shied away from that. He didn't, he didn't necessarily disagree with the idea that you can work smarter, you know, but he didn't want me to just work one hour a day. He, he, even if I worked smarter, he still wanted me to apply myself to learn, to grow, and, and to reflect. Um, and the other thing I look at is just my whole career path. It has not been um, very congruent. It's not been linear. It's been, in fact, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, probably more lows. And oftentimes people ask me why I write books or why I speak. And, and a lot of it is because uh, I've learned some real hard lessons, like hard knocks, 
And I just wanted to share it with people so that either they can learn from it and, and better themselves, or when they go through it themselves, they realize that, hey, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And that light is actually even better than when you, when you entered the tunnel. It's just you may not see it at this moment. And so I would say, you know, I, I've had a lot of epic failures, not epic <laughs> successes, more epic failures. At one point in my career, I was it, my my um, situation was so bad that I um, scored a 300 on my credit score, which is the basement. You you cannot go lower, and you, you get, you'll get to uh, share this with uh, your significant other or friend or whatever tonight, and tell them that you met somebody that actually did it twice in their life, and most people won't even come close to doing 300 on their credit score. <laughs> yeah. So wow. soon it's interesting to me because I have a concentric circle diagram that I use about friction and the inner circle, uh, the first circle here is the comfort zone. And what happens, those people that stay in a comfort zone, and a lot of people do, they live their life like tubes, food in, food out, <laughs> paycheck in, paycheck out, 300 credit scores. Um, and they're just stuck there and they stay there. Uh then outside around that smaller circle, the comfort zone is a learning zone. And outside the learning zone is that anxiety or friction zone. And if you live your life in the learning zone, it expands. So pretty soon what used to be friction becomes learning. Uh, and you have a new level of anxiety. But if you go and live your life in friction all the time, uh, then it constricts down and this is where people become addicts have uh, you know nervous breakdowns you have the most highly functioning people that push themselves too far all of a sudden can't get out of bed are committing suicide are escaping through abuse of drugs and alcohol and other things um now i you said you know you really are an expert in this idea of friction but there seems to be from your own explanation in my understanding uh a friction of learning compared to a friction of ego or anxiety, uh, right? Because if you have a friction of learning, it actually does produce dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, and adrenaline. But a friction of anxiety or fear actually creates cortisol, uh, which then creates dis-ease, dis where do dopamine, oxytocin creates ease. H how do you describe the differentiator in kind of good friction versus, you know, detrimental friction, because I think there needs to be a distinction between the two. Sure. I love your framework, by the way. And I would actually think you've just qualified it for me, which is, you know, the comfort zone, if you stay there forever, it stays small. If you get into this next zone that you're talking about, I think that's good friction, right? Where you're learning, you're growing, you're challenging yourself. And then there is this zone where there's just a lot of stress, right? There's stresses. And let's face it, I think humans operate in on sort of two levels, one on their call it their normal level, but when they're placed into a stress situation, oftentimes what's either viewed as good friction or they just react differently. You have your stress mode, which is a very different um, reaction and a different way of uh, your MO changes, right? And so I said, and I've also said this, any good friction in the wrong context, like if you're trying to teach somebody and they are either closed off or quite frankly, they're overworked and they're tired, it is, it's no matter your, your intention and no matter in most situations it has been viewed as good learning or good friction, it would become bad friction. So part of it is also contextual. 
Now, you asked the question, how do we distinguish between good and bad friction? Friction is friction, which is anything that creates resistance, effort, energy, above and beyond what you normally would do, okay? Um, the only difference between good and bad, they both require this idea of you know, doing more than you expected, um, is the outcome. So bad friction leads to bad outcomes, and good friction leads to good outcomes, both requiring extra effort. And I'll give you a very simple uh, example to sort of differentiate the two from a product point of view. Um, we've all purchased flash drives from like a, a, a place like Best Buy, take it home, and it's in this big clamshell, this plastic clamshell. We got to take our scissors and we got to cut it open. And even then, we have to usually use our fingers and pry open just to get to this little. And, cut, and then cut our fingers. Too. And cut our fingers doing it right. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of friction to open a package. Well, there's another company that said, well, I'm going to make opening my package take more time, more effort, more consideration, more involvement than even opening the clamshell that we talked about. And that company is Apple. <laughs> they basically, you know, when you unveil one of their products, they treat it like a treasure and they create the package like a treasure chest. And, and every time I give a talk or, or I meet with people, I ask people, you know, how many of you have kept an Apple package? 90% of the people that have bought an Apple uh, product have kept the package. And then I keep asking how many have kept two, three, four. I've had one person kept 17 of their packages in their closet. I'm like, well, what, what do you do with them? I figure, I don't know. <laughs> but it, it, I think for them, each one was sort of a memory that they wanted to keep. And I, I look back at last Christmas, my son got an Apple watch for his uh, Christmas and it took him 30 minutes to unveil it, to set up, to finally uh, uh, peel open the very last part of the package because, you know, he had to do the setup, he had to choose colors, he had to choose his login name, all this stuff and stuff. And it was by far the happiest 30 minutes of Christmas for him was setting up and customizing and personalizing and, and unveiling his Apple Watch. And so, you know, both of them require more effort, but one is much more engaging. It's much more, uh, you know, it, it requires much more consideration. Um, it, and it requires this, you know, a lot more effort, but yet the reward was much greater. Sweet. That is awesome. I want to go back to something. You, you, not many people, Dave talks about it. I talk about failure. I always talk about it because then people can identify with it and live better lives because people get stuck in failure. Someone's at home, right? They're freaking out. They've got a 300 credit. I actually beat you. I had zero credit because I came from <laughs> Australia with nothing. I had, they're like, we can't even find you. I'm like, yeah, because I paid everything in cash. So they're sitting at home, right? And, and they go, I can't get Don't ask started. him why he paid everything in cash. I think that says <laughs> exactly. something. There you go. Right? <laughs> Who pays cash? I wonder. I, I did. How do you start with a 300 credit? Like, seriously, someone's sitting at home thinking, yeah, but you've got it set up now. But I'm serious. What's the microprocess? You get the credit card and how do you build solid? Because people do right now, we're going into a session, have 300 credits, and they literally want to jump out of a building. They, they got to call Jack McCall, man. You better call Saul. Jack McCall, <laughs> credit stacking. There's a book, credit stacking. Is, is it called Jack McCall? There's a plug. Jack anyway. McCall, credit stacking. I think the, the, the key for... 300 or any time you've hit rock bottom, right? That, that's just a, a time when you've hit rock bottom. Um, I think it's the time to say, okay, I, I always find it really comforting to say, guess what? I failed. You, you, you know, just just acknowledge you're, you're at rock bottom. Don't even try to deny because I think the longer you're in denial, the longer it's going <laughs> to take you to sort of pick up your, you know, 
bootstraps and get going again, right? And what is it Alfred, uh, the butler for, uh, you know, Batman used to tell him, it's not how you fall, it's how you pick yourself up that really matters, right? And so then, honestly, in those situations, once you've hit rock bottom, the shame is already there, you kind of accepted it, and, you know, hopefully it leads to a certain degree of humility. And once you're past the shame, and once you've sort of, you know, embraced your humility, I always found it really helpful just to ask for help, to ask those around me, to ask for advice. Um, and guess what? When you say to people, you know, I tried this, it didn't work, it was epically bad, you know, can you help me? People's humanities come out, right? You have to be a real a-hole to say, no, I'm not gonna help your, you know, you've hit rock bottom, I'm not gonna lend a hand here. You will be surprised how many people, as long as you're honest about, you know, I want to I want to get better. I want to improve. And in fact, I write about this in the book. One of the most important ways to use good friction is this idea that actually one of the most important ways to build rapport isn't just to do favors for people. It's actually to ask favors of people, because what happens when you ask a favor of somebody, especially if you do it the right way, something that they can, you know, uh, obviously do for you, something that doesn't take too much skin out of their their, their lives, you know, um, is that all of a sudden they feel good about themselves. Like, you know, I'm actually doing something positive for somebody else. The other thing is now they have vested interest in you. Hey, I, I just put some time, I put a couple hours in, in, in Mike, you know, I'm gonna check in on him. And the next time he asks for me, hey, he made, he made some baby steps. I'm gonna help him get from baby steps up to, you know, the middle ground. And so I'm gonna help him again. So they're more likely to help you again. All of a sudden, you are now part of my mind share because I spent a few hours helping you, Mike. So I think, honestly, at those times, sure, you can look within and try to find all those, you know, the, 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 the philosophical stuff. You know what? Ask your, your friends. Ask your family. Ask, you know, ask people around you. You'll be surprised how many people are willing to help you out. Yeah, I have that value add uh, perspective in life. Right from Ben Franklin's autobiography, the best thing you can do is ask for help, become an investment of others, as you suggest. What I love about the book, Friction, is it allows us to learn about some real critical business issues as well, engagement, the meaning that we give, what we're doing, belonging, a sense of collective consciousness. You talked about rapport, assurance, and confidence, and of course, exclusivity. Soon you, please come back and visit us. The incredible book, Friction. There's good friction, bad friction, but Mike Diamond is my favorite friction. So <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> come see us soon. Soon you, check him out, soonyou.com forward slash friction. Get his latest book. It will change your life. I appreciate you. Thanks. Great, great advice. That's awesome. He's so good. <laughs> 300 All right. credits twice. <laughs> 300. All right. Ashad is here. Ashad Masood. He's the managing director and CEO of VisionNet Systems. And uh, these guys are on the cutting edge for us uh, in a very interesting technology space of global growth and disrupting with innovation uh, agility while we're reducing costs and risks, a quantitative value that most companies should really look for. Um, now, this is not a new company, Arshad. You've been around for a long time and expanded worldwide. Uh, how has the company evolved since uh, 1995, I think, when you started out of your apartment? 
Uh, David, uh, thank you. Uh, you know, I happen to be in a different time zone. It's 3.30 in the morning in my time, but I'm so excited to, uh, to That's be That's when here. Mike and I used to just go out. So do we, yeah. <laughs> now we get up at that time. <laughs> now we're up uh, DMing each other our clocks. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, it, it just happens that, you know, sometimes you have to uh, do what you have to do, um, and uh, it is just one of those days. It was not planned. But I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to be part of this uh, uh, call and um, happy to uh, uh, get into why I did this. Um, you know, uh, it was a long time ago. Uh, 1995 was a lifetime away, uh, if I look at back um, uh, today. Uh, but, you know, it all started because uh, uh, I was in a corporate job, right? And things were, things were good, but things were not where I needed them to be. I wanted them to be. And I figured that this would not um, be in my best interest um, to stick around and um, continue to do what I'm told to do and uh, what I cannot do or could not do. So having said that, I risked, I took, it, took a risk. It was a, a manageable risk in you know those young days. Um, and I started this company. I did. Uh, uh, I was a salesman. I was the product manager. I was the chief executive, and I was a developer. And uh, you name it, whatever you call it. But I was doing all of that. And and what happened was that um, people love inspiration, and people love to see if you are committed or not. And if you are committed, then there are a lot of other folks and other people, good people, who would come and actually, you know share the burden with you. And that is exactly how it came about. There is no magic to it. It is just a, you know, the true American story that you dream big and you don't give up and you just get up every day and put your jacket on and, you know, hit the road and uh, talk to everybody you can and tell your story. And believe it or not, 99% of the time, people who see you and they see the commitment in your eyes, they buy it. And they say, okay, I know that you don't have it, but if you can do it, I'll give you a chance. And uh, it happens. And this is what happened to me. And this is not a, this is not a, you know, a fiction Broadway story. This is a real story. You felt, you felt that inner calling, right? And, and right. You, you were driven, you were driven in a way, you know, obviously since 1995, you've gone through a lot of ups and downs. Anyone yeah. that can be in business that long has, has really st stood in the eye of the storm and got through it. What What is that inner thing that keeps you going? Because I, I, I came to America in 1997 with a one-way ticket from Australia and just went for it. And a lot of people get confused, like how did you stay in it? So what, what drew, drove you and what keeps driving you to stay on course? You know, it is a, it is a very, uh, uh, you might be surprised, it's a very simple answer, right? Uh, people who come along with you um, and they believe in you, they could have, gotten a you know a big offer they could have gone on their own merry way they could have made a decent living maybe a beautiful excellent living than what you could provide but somehow they buy into your dream right and what happens is that you know things are never the same things go up and down you know if um, i don't want to bore your audience uh, especially the young audience but every four five seven years it is the american kind of a tradition to have a uh, full force recession if it is not, you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, driven by uh, whatever the uh, 
circumstances are, it might be my design or whatever it is, but it happens, right? So, so the question comes is that, what are you going to tell the people who are with you? And you can't just leave and run away and basically fold your tent and say, you know, hey, I tried. You can't do that. And once you stand up and you say, we'll get through this, and we've been through this, and we will get to a better future. And I am very proud that all those folks who did, just like I did, um, what was supposed to be done, uh, they did very well. I did very well. I could not have dreamed where I am today and what I am today if I had not stuck it out at that time, you know, sometimes things are good and sometimes things are bad, whether it's 2000 or whether it's 2008 or whether it's, you know, 2019 or COVID or now 2023, the new recession or whatever the new uh, norm is, it really doesn't matter. I think the commitment matters. And I think if you provide value to your customers, right, it will carry you through guaranteed. If you don't play games and you stick to the focus that, you know, whatever you do in the end, it will turn around your customer's business. It will make them successful. It will make their customer's life easier and their employee's life easier. If you believe that, there's always an opportunity. And we have not stopped growing, recession or no recession. For the last five years, we grew 25% a year. Yeah. Wow. And one of the things I like about more traditional business perspectives is the quantitative analysis, right? When we're talking about innovative technologies, words like your increased agility come out, which is hard to quantify with all technology, but you stick to two core values. One is reduction of costs and then two, minimizing business risk. And those are with any good salesperson, easy to quantify and articulate the quantification. How does VisionS Systems products and services reduce costs and how does it minimize risk? You know, I, I would turn it around the other way. Uh, you can always reduce cost if you have revenue. If you don't have revenue, you can reduce yourself with nothing. <laughs> I right? love that. So, but, uh... so, so you have to focus on the value. And, and believe me, uh, uh, what happens 99% of the time is one way or the other, people get comfortable. And they forget the basics that there is something which is changing. It is in the wind, right? Whether you catch it or not, it will catch you, right? And, and companies like us are really on the hunt for that. We are not a company who could, you know, be a big, mega body supplier with 100,000 employees. We are, you know, even at the height of our success, we have 78,000 employees company, right? So we had to stick to the value. We had to look at the opportunity. How can we make you, our customers successful faster and take the risk out of it? We focus on that. We did not focus on cutting costs. And when people see that and they see that they could get a innovation uh, faster or they could get a uh, more profitability faster, they actually buy that. They actually prefer that. They don't want to hear cutting costs. They want to see that where can they go and capture the next market or, or maybe make their customers happy. And the journey we have been through most of the, most of the, my, uh, you know, uh, active career, it, it has been in e-commerce. 
First it was you know, business to consumer, and now it is business to business, but the fundamentals are still the same. There's so much fat in the system, and you have to look for it, and people know that it is, but then you, know, you have to have the basic kind of a IQ as a company or as an enterprise to capture that and articulate that to your customers. And once to show them that you understand what they are going through and what they may not see, or maybe they see that, but they don't know how to do it. And they and you show them how it will add value. It will increase innovation. It will actually improve their profitability and cut costs in the in the end in the long run. Anyway, I think they buy that, and I think that's what we believe in. Yeah. Last question for our friend. Yeah, I was going to say you're so disciplined and structure structured i love it and it, it's just straightforward you don't get distracted you're not worried about the competition and you're always focused on the value you bring which is such a key ingredient to be successful where does that come from do you have other people in your team that you, you're collaborating with that keep you like that or is this just new naturally you know it's uh, uh I, I would i would you know put it slightly differently you may or may not agree but you know, the fact of the matter is we are still here, right? Uh, we are a basically engineering-centric company. We did not know how to sell. I do not know how to sell. Trust me. We don't have, we were never able to pair a good sales team. We, could, we were never able to hire a good sales guy, right? So most of the success happened because if you focus on engineering, right, because that is hard to do. You can tell a story. But to deliver a story is hard, hard work. And what happened all along is that we did that. It took us longer time, right? This is why, you know, we did not become a unicorn in five years. It has taken us a long time and we're still chugging along. And the way it happens is that once you do good work for a customer and that executive, if you got him the promotion, you got him, uh, you know, good sleep at night, wherever that person goes because that person becomes successful right yeah. wherever they go they take 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 you with them yeah. and our story is exactly that we did not actually go and blast the market or do the new digital marketing we just focused on the basics and most of the business we have gotten has come through very strong engineering and through referrals yeah, you know, I think I have one, one last question I lied, but um, are you going to go back to sleep now or are you going to stay up? You know, believe me or not, I have uh, some issue to resolve right now, uh, which, which I have to do. But then, you know, I definitely I'm going to go to sleep and maybe not get up for the next seven, eight hours. Oh, okay, he's been up the whole time. He stayed up. That's how it works in the great entrepreneurial spirit in India. Thank you so much, Arshad. Incredible advice and wisdom. Right. I love your perspective and not afraid to show us uh, what you've experienced. I really think one of the key takeaways for me is, you know, it's easy to tell a story, but it's harder to deliver it. And Visionet has been delivering the story. And I wonder they don't need great salespeople like Mike Diamond or myself. Congratulations on your overnight success of 30 years almost. Arshad Masood. <laughs> Check him out, Managing Director and CEO of VisionNet Systems. Welcome anytime on ours to our shot. Thank you. Take care. Awesome. That guy's, he's way more awake and sharp at you know 2.30 in the morning than some drug addicts that I know. That's it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you would know anything about that. Uh, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> all right.
uh all right i know so diane good. was here and uh we we're, we're gonna go to takeaway of the day because i gotta drive home from uh, sofi after diane comes on up oh, i think she's back no that's mike mike uh what's your takeaway for the day you know what really resonated with me um what he said as well he was authentic he's not a salesperson like you and i and he didn't try and take shortcuts he knew it was going to be a long game so to me it's all about being authentic right knowing your strengths and weaknesses but the friction was very important you have to be willing to grow and stretch and get always out of your comfort zone or you will not grow right but but be authentic to that know your strengths and weaknesses and, and be, be prepared to stretch yourself and do the work yeah, and I, I'm with you, inherent in friction and the spectrum of friction uh, and understanding what levels of friction create the dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins compared to the friction that creates cortisol or constriction. Uh, but even moreover, how change in the way that we adapt to change, and we're going to talk about adapting here if we get our dear friend Diane on, uh, Diane Primo, uh, wrote a book called adapt. So that, I don't know if it's a uh, coincidence or the universe, but I, I got to give a big shout out. Like, honestly, you know, I give Matt and the team uh, a lot of friction over the shows and <laughs> I want them to be perfect so I can be imperfect. Uh, so they don't notice how imperfect I am by them being so perfect. But aren't you amazed brother? Like, honestly, like how, right. How these things line up that, yeah. Like I'm leading into my takeaway about adaptation and change and friction and all the guests and they come from all different places, right? Like all different places of the world, experiences, age groups, sexes. I mean, but you could not have coordinated. You could not Better. have like no. no producer in the world could have coordinated the, the alignment that we get on this show. And I just want to give a big shout out because it really means that our team, our production team, you're in mine, they have great intention in what they do and allow the universe to, you know, provide these extraordinary guests that are all reconciled in the same critical life issue, business issue, theme, you know, and it, it always is something. I'm just like, how the hell did these people plan this? Because I absolutely no way could have planned it. Um, do you want to reschedule Diane? Okay. So we're going to go ahead and reschedule Diane. Cause this is a really strong finish. We got, We'll squeeze on a fourth guest some some other time anyway. Um, so, uh, Mikey, my friend, I adore you. you. Let me know if Love you want to go on that podcast tomorrow. Just reach out. I'll be driving home. The incredible okay. Mike Diamond, Diamond Life Fuel. Uh, I'm on it every day. So if you think I'm getting younger, <laughs> if you think I'm getting younger, more handsome, or more energetic, check the footage because I am, and it's because of Diamond. Life fuel, the pills of thrills, office hours. All right. Thank you, brother. I love that t-shirt. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's office hours for the day. I want to thank Diane and her team. We'll have them back. Arshad, all of our friends. Remember, most importantly, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. From SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, the home of the Los Angeles Chargers and the world champion Los Angeles Rams is David Meltzer. Be kind. Thank you. Take care.